Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. For some reason, I'm pink today. I can't fix my lights. I don't know what's going on, but uh, think pink, uh, as one uh, musical theater character used to say. And tonight, we're going to be delving into a few musical theater characters, and I have two incredible men uh, that have been delving into this subject for quite some time. Uh, Dana is a, a dear friend of mine, but hopefully by the end of today's show, James will be an equally good friend. So I'm thrilled that you're both here and congratulations on this new book. I want, we're gonna delve into that in just a moment, but as I do with all of my shows, I always ask my guests, who or what have you celebrated today? And I'm gonna start with you, James. That's a good question. Um, well, Dana and I have actually begun working on our second book, and we interviewed two different people today involved in the world of theater, and I just was bowled over by their insight and their passion, and I, 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 would, I, I celebrate them as representing all of the people on Broadway and theater everywhere who I just adore. And one of them is calling you right now. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it always goes that way. That's when the package is delivered. Richard. Of course oh. it is. And so let's celebrate the fact that the packages are still Absolutely. being delivered. I'm so happy. Uh, Dana, who or what have you celebrated today other than uh, these two theater people? And uh, are you at liberty to tell us who they are? Um, you know what? It's probably best for us not to at this moment. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it was just lovely. Uh, it, it was wonderful. And I, I do celebrate it, that as well. It, it was, uh, it's wonderful to start in earnest a new project. And that sort of made it real today for us, I think, you know. So and, and I'm celebrating being here with you, Richard. It's always yeah, fun. It's always a pleasure when uh, we're together. <laughs> I, I love you so much. You know that. I think you know that. Uh, At least I mutual. hope you know that. Uh, so, James, one of the things that I do, this is your first time here, I have seven mystery cards laid out. And we're going to start with this so that this is going to take us down a different path. But then we're going to jump into your book. So pull a number one through seven, and we're going to learn something about you that you probably have not even thought about today. Four. And your question is, would you rather hear the good news or the bad news first? I always ask the bad news first. Uh, do you know why? I want to get it over with. And that way, if it's one of those things where, well, there isn't actually any good news, it's just bad news, then I don't have to hear that. <laughs> I love that. Well, today we're going to focus only on good news. And Dana, same question. You get uh, one through six. So, uh, oh, okay. We'll, okay, what's your number? Oh, let's do six. That'll be fun. Let's see what that and, is. And uh, let's see where this takes us. And it says... Would you rather explore space or the ocean? Ooh, um, I think the ocean, you know, because I know that there's just, there are so many things there that we don't even have a clue is there yet, you know? Uh, and space is a little scary. I, I really enjoy oxygen and the idea of possibly being able to come to the surface every now and then and grabbing a gulp. You know? Now, couldn't you both say the same thing about creativity? Oh, what what would I like to do? There's so much there that we've yet to even touch upon. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, absolutely, uh, you know. That, and at the same time, James, how would you answer that question? I, I defer to James on all things creativity-based. I think we know more than most people think we do. Mm-hmm. But there sure is an awful lot left. Yeah, there sure is an awful lot left to know. Kind of like these, actually. Like we know a pretty decent amount about a lot of these creatures. There's still a whole bunch of new stuff. Now, James, you you truly uh, both of you have to some extent, but James, you truly have devoted your entire life to studying creativity. Uh, what is it about this topic, this subject, that first pulled you in? And what is it about creativity that uh, you want to share with other people? What's, 
interesting is the first thing that grabbed me was creative writing in theater. That was what I wanted to do when I was younger, be a creative writer. And um, I was planning on applying for MFAs in creative writing. And one of them said, if you can do anything else but this, then you should go do that thing. And it was probably intended to be inspiring and it just terrified me. And oh, so wow. I thought, well, I'm a double major in creative writing and psychology. I'll try psychology. And I applied almost at random to PhD programs. And I was very lucky. And I ended up at Yale with Bob Sternberg. But the first two years, everything I studied was boring. You know, memory and learning. And it wasn't until at the end of two years, and when I was really debating, like, do I drop out? Is this it? When I thought, well, I mean, I love creative writing. I love theater. Maybe I could study creativity. And Bob Sternberg studied that. And so I spent the entire summer like locked in my parents' basement with a stack of books on creative writing and creativity. And it was the first thing that I'd read that wasn't boring. Everything else was so boring. And then I was reading Creativity by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. I was reading The Handbook of Creativity edited by Bob and all this stuff. These were interesting ideas. And I thought, okay, I can do well, what kept you what kept you going up to that point? I mean, if you went through two years of you finding all of this boring to you until you found exactly your niche, what was the impetus that kept you moving forward? Being very honest, I had nothing else to do. Wow. I had no idea what else I was gonna like. I could have quit and try to become a writer, but I would have ended up living in New York being a very, very bad waiter. And I at least knew how to be a student. And I, I was doing okay. Mm -hmm. um, but that was kind of it. It wasn't like, oh, I, you know. Well, you know, it's very interesting. When I was a kid growing up in South Carolina and I wanted to come to New York to be an actor, uh, my next door neighbor always said, her phrase always, every time we spoke, have something to fall back on. Maybe I should have listened to her. I don't know. But I just kept going forward. I said, because I always felt that if you have something to fall back on, chances are you're going to fall back on it. Um, and to me, it's about, all about keeping my eye on the prize and continuing to move towards that. Uh, Dana, in your case, what was... Um, what was the impetus that brought you into this business in the first place? Because you wear so many hats. I don't even know where to begin with you. I, you know, I'm really lucky. I'm passionate about a, a lot of things. Uh, you know, I never, ever feel like I'm, I'm settling. You know, there's always something really uh, exciting, I think, to do, you know. Um, but, you know, the thing that got me into theater was when I was a kid, I was in a production of... Um, uh, you know, I loved, I just loved the idea of it. And, and I was in first a production of a high school production of King and I, and then I was sitting in rehearsals for a production of Oliver. And I, and my bed, my feet did not touch the floor. I was just one of the, one of, one of the orphans. And we were sitting there holding the side, the vocal sides. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like just the vocal line and, I could sort of read music and I was really feeling it. But all around me were all these Broadway voices on this tour that I was just a, a local yokel kid sitting there. And there was something about just, it transported me somewhere. I don't even know where it was, but I remember looking at this book, which was written by Lionel Bart, you know, the music and I'm going, I want one of these of my own someday. And by golly, you know, by golly, uh, you did it. <laughs> it did. It happened. Yeah. On more than one that, yes. Not only that, but Lionel Bart came to the pr pr the opening night of the Fix in London, and I met him. So it was a nice little full circle. Wow. Do you know the story? I to digress for just a moment. That Lionel Bart uh, basically lost the rights to Oliver in a poker game. Do you know this? 
I didn't know how he lost them. I did not know how he was. He was a terrible gambler and he gave away the entire rights to Oliver. And for years, he was basically destitute. Mm -hmm. And Cameron McIntosh bought the rights back and presented them to Lionel Bart. So that I did hear that part. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just an amazing story. How did the two of you meet uh, to begin with? And then I want to talk about the genesis of how this book came to be. You want to take it, James? So one of my all-time favorite musicals is The Fix. I discovered it in graduate school, and I listened to it on repeat over and over and over and over and over again. And so I added Dana as a friend on Facebook. And I sent him a message. And I was like, hey, I have this, I, I wrote this book, Creativity 101, and I can send it to you because I love the fix so much. And he said, sure. And I sent it to him. And then Dana began doing this podcast. And I'm going to toss it to Dana for the podcast. For that next right. Time. And I was so touched, you know, because he mentioned the fix in, what is it, Creativity 101? I mean, the handbook, Richard, of creativity. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. the handbook. <laughs> Yes. All right. So that's kind of not not shabby. But he mentioned the fix. And so when I was doing this the podcast, I, I remember thinking, wow, he would be a really interesting conversation. And I think and, and he and so I asked him if he would come and do it. And what's really the sad thing is like we did the conversation, we recorded it, but that episode never aired. But in the meantime, he and I, how long did we talk? I don't think we ever stopped talking. <laughs> we had to, <laughs> It was like it was supposed to be like a 30, 40 minute conversation and went for an hour and a half, I think, or something like that. Amazing. I mean, did you I mean, was this all on air? Uh that you no, 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 no. It's it was to be recorded and edited later, but and then right as we were hanging up, I said, Thank you so much, James. I sorry that it took so much of your day. And then he goes, Oh, and by the way, at it, it, there's a little bit of a thing that happened before that, but he says, oh, and by the way, would you ever consider writing a book with me? Is that how you put it, James? I don't want to misremember. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I said, let me think. Yes, I will do that. Because <laughs> uh, that morning, Andrew, uh, my husband, Andrew, he says, you know, you have a lot to offer. You really should partner with someone who has a PhD and write a book. And then that afternoon, so it really didn't take me long to decide that. Plus, I, you know, James has not said this, but what is it, 50 books so far, James, and more plus counting? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. I thought that would be a good person to write a book with. He knows what he's doing, clearly. You know? Amazing. Who, I mean, did you just start collaborating at first, or did you start out? with an outline of what you wanted to, the book to be. And how did you get to the idea of creativity through musical theater characters? Well, we, we had a couple of very long meetings. Sometimes we went in the middle, sometimes Dana came over and we began just by talking about in theater and creativity. And the thing that I kept really picking up on is like, I would be talking about a concept in, in creativity and, and Dana has this wonderful thing where he, and, and it's kind of out of coaching, if he like, so what I'm hearing you say, and he would then rephrase it to be beautifully simple instead of all my jargon. It would be simple, it would be straightforward. And then as we would talk, just instinctually, it wasn't even really planned. We kept coming up every, all the examples we're theater. So, oh, well, intrinsic motivation is this, just like so-and-so. And as we kept doing this, we're like, this could be the book. These basic concepts of creativity, almost like, like translated into musical theater, because um, both of us speak that language. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing about James is that he's probably a bigger th musical theater geek than I am. Uh, 
you, you really, really, you know, all of these things, like sort of an encyclopedic sort of recollection of all these things, where as I just kind of go, wasn't that a character and so and so I'm a little, you know, less specific. So, yeah. Well, I, I can only imagine the electricity in the room when the two of you were just together, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other. It just must have been palpable. Um, and as you said, I mean, it kept going back to these musical theater characters. Um, did you have a specific process or a specific goal in um, telling these, uh, talking about creativity, if you will, through the eyes of these characters? I mean, there are various things that I'm thinking of as an outsider. Uh, when it comes to the characters that we see on uh, stage. As Dana knows, I have devoted almost 20 years to studying Dolly and all of the women that have played Dolly and what they each bring to the role. And each of them has their own personality. So the character is there. One of my favorite pastimes, I'm open to every actor's interpretation of a role. And I think because to me, it's bringing their own creativity uh, and taking that character maybe to a, rebel, a, a realm or a level that we've never even thought about before. And one of the things that's one of my big pet peeves, and it just happened recently uh, with Sweeney Todd, one of the characters uh, discussed in your book, is the replacement cast. And then everybody begins to dissect all the reasons why they should not play these characters. That drives me up the wall. I want to be open to what they bring to the role and then form your opinions based on the performance they give. I'd love to hear both of you talk about um, the character versus the actor or the person who brings that character to life. It's interesting. We did spend a little time on that, didn't we, James, about how some actors are hired because they bring something more to the character. Other actors are hired because they give the audience what they're expecting and or what the producers are wanting. Um, certainly, you could probably talk more to about that as far as the creative the creativity aspect of that, James. Appropriateness, probably, to task and... Um, yeah, and, and certainly, I think, particularly for a lot of the characters we picked, there's so often is this deep, whether it's an emotion or a primary trait that, like, you can't have a Sweeney Todd who doesn't have some element of rage and betrayal. The way you interpret it could be this or this. I mean, one of the best Mrs. Lovitz I ever saw was a college production where she, it was uh, obviously much younger and she did it incredibly sensually. Mm. But the character was the same. It was just like almost like the shifting of the kaleidoscope. I mean, we, we talked about Evita and we, we actually, um, Dana um, was able to interview one of the people who portrayed her particularly well. And I may need, perhaps Dana, you could cheat a little bit why I, I mentioned because I'm blocking from the name. Yeah, Mark, is it, um, shoot, now it's not coming to me, but uh, let me let me find. I happen to have a copy here. Okay. You know, it, the other thing is this has been a number of years, this project. Can I also just, I want to interject, that sheetmusic.danapiro.com, I don't believe that page exists anymore. Oh, okay. just, you could just you could just take go to danapiro.com and that'll be that'll okay, be okay. Right. Well, I actually uh, went to that page. So oh, it does did. it does oh. exist. Oh, it does. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, all right. But, well, danapiro.com will get you to the home page. Um, let's see here. What was her name? It was Al um, I believe it was it was Magdalena Alberto and it was we yeah. had a very much more sympathetic um, response and, and portrayal of the Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and it's, here it is. Right at page 97, James. Uh, she said, yeah, her way of portraying it was interesting. And we also had a, a wonderful story about, you know, like 
some actors who brought too much to the room, too creative a, a, a trend, you know, an interpretation of a character were often just sort of like summarily dismissed because it was like not what the, the, the producers were looking for. Well, let's talk but, about that for a moment. I mean, what do both of you think of when you, when it comes to uh, too much creativity? Because I mean, in the theater, we refer sometimes to those actors as someone who is chewing the scenery, uh, to coin a phrase. Um, but when is it too much that they're bringing to the role? The way that like at the scientists um, talk about creativity is it has two components. And, and one of it is exactly what you expect. It has to be new and different, original. But the other, and Dana was mentioning this before, is it has to be task appropriate. And I mean, usually the examples we give are extreme, like a bridge, like a bridge collapsing. Uh, but you can have a performance that may be original. I mean, what would be a good example of one that would be in a, a I'll throw you an example. Uh, the recent uh, revival of Oklahoma. Right. Well, that that was definitely something they were going for. I mean, it was a complete, and that was, everybody was on the same page. Um, the, time, the thing that comes up for me is when that would not be appropriate is if you're doing what I call um, the, the, oh, there's a word for them, not cookie cutter, but if you're looking at a clone of the Broadway show and they're touring it. Cameron McIntosh was very famous for giving you exactly what you saw on Broadway in a tour. Disney is the same way. They don't want a new interpretation of, of Belle. They want their Belle. So if you come in and give them like Lori from Oklahoma, like in that production of Oklahoma you're talking about, mm -hmm. they're, they're not gonna be interested in that. You know, neither would they be interested in somebody who just comes and sort of, um, you know, gives a lot of uh, improv on the notes for a Bublil Schoenberg show. You know, you're not going to you're not going to be winning any points with those folks. It would not be appropriate to what the producers are looking for. But don't you feel I mean, uh, and I'm speaking from an actor's point of view now. Sure. And uh, but don't I mean, and I'd love to get both of your takes on this, um, that that somehow stifles creativity, because for me, um, there was a time uh, when going back to all the women who played Dolly, for example, each brought their own personality to the role. Mm -hmm. and people came to the theater not only to see the show, but to see the personalities that were up there on stage. And they all were able to bring a little something. I mean, Pearl Bailey, for example. She was sure. always putting the sides out to the audience, yeah. Uh, which and that's the perfect show for that because there's a the fourth wall broken down. But then there came a time in the history of theater uh, where you got cast to replace someone in a show, mm -hmm. and they want you to replicate their track. It's the replica production is exactly what the word I was looking for. Yeah. 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 I think it, it absolutely can stifle creativity. I mean, it, it's one reason for, again, if you want that experience, as if you were at the original Broadway opening, that's one thing. And then, yeah, the actors can't be quite as creative. I right. mean, it's the same way if you have a super long-running show. Um, it can be hard if you're not allowed to experiment or just try a little bit new. I mean, it, it's one reason why sometimes some of my favorite versions of shows I've seen are, are at tiny little community theaters where they're not bound by that and maybe they haven't even seen the original. And I mean, yeah. I mean, you can also see from the worst theater you'll ever see there, but you can also see the most innovative, creative, interesting takes on characters or just the whole show. Right. So it, it really does boil down to that that appropriateness for the What's the brief? You know, what are they looking for? If they're looking for a new creative take on it, then by all means go crazy. You know, bring it. 
But if they're looking for a replica and you're looking for a job, I would not suggest it. You know, if you do want to work or do you want to be, you know, it's, it really is. And that can, I think that's a mindset too. And correct me how, you know, if you disagree, I mean, I, I love a good conversation. I think that's why we get along, uh, yeah, Richard James and, and all of us. But, you know, I, I think that, um, I don't even forget where I was going with that, but it, 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 I totally blitzed out. I, I sidetracked myself. Uh, but yeah, I think that there's something to be said for being hugely creative, you know, but it has to be in the right arena, right area. Right? Well, when it comes to your book, which, come, which came first, the lessons in creativity or the musical theater characters? Oh, I just... <laughs> Uh, I, I believe that the, the, the creativity tenets, right, the, the, the structure of, you know, all the research has been done over the years. Uh, and, then, and then what was the most relevant both to, like when we, our first draft was a little more for people in theater, whereas we revised it really to be for everybody just as long as you love theater. Um, but so we did pick things that we thought were particularly relevant and practical. Like there's not much on the brain because it's interesting stuff, but there's not a whole lot you can do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I'm with sincere apologies to any of my friends who do brain research. I mean, it's very important foundational work. Um, the same way there are some topics that are incredibly relevant to business or education that just aren't quite as relevant, but things like personality, motivation, um, mood and, and emotion. I mean, these are things that are, are relevant to anyone, I think, to everybody. Mm -hmm. And particularly so vibrant for theater. Well, James, again, you have devoted your life to this study. Um, Writing this book, were there any aha moments that you had never thought about before uh, that came up because of this particular book and working with Dana? More for my teaching than my research. Because uh, I do intro to creativity for undergrads, and, and, and I love it. Uh, and when... Jane and I would write the chapters. Often we would come up with so many examples and so many exercises. And those ways of kind of taking what are, again, often not sometimes easy concepts, but often not easy concepts, um, I definitely brought to the classroom, you know, as ways of humanizing it, of making it understandable, or, you know, particularly with some of that, with some of these activities really just makes sense. Um, sometimes I would make them less theater-oriented because most of my undergrads are more interested in the Marvel universe than the Rodgers and Hammerstein universe. But um, that was the biggest aha, was these are ways to present these ideas in a way that is true to the science, but also not boring and, and not confusing. And Dana, we knew you come from a musical theater background. So what aspects of that do you feel are now changed in terms of your own process because of this book? Oh, wow. That's a great question, Richard. Um, I think we, we, as James and I were working, there was this model of, it's called the spotlight model that we started developing in that, you know. I love your every... website, by the way. The website, it's incredible. Uh, I even, I don't know if you've noticed, our background is from your website. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
what was really lovely and I think it helped me personally like it, it was a real personal moment for me when we were talking about what is payday for you it is not always being center stage and in the spotlight often it is being the support person that is be that is you in your spotlight is backstage helping the prop people or helping dress an actor or creating costumes or creating scenery and and I just I think it helped me find normalize even more so in my own life that it's not just one thing forever it's many things and it's okay that it's many things mm -hmm. and I I think for me it was a, it was it was a really a wonderful sort of shift in my way of thinking about my own career and my own trajectory well, you know, from I, I did a lot of work, um, you know, over the years uh, for arts and education, which is very important to me. And one of the things that I impart when I speak with these kids is that it's such a sense of community. It's everyone. To me, and Liza Minnelli said this, Liza Minnelli said that her favorite moments in her career did not happen in front of an audience. They happened in a rehearsal studio. Oh, for, yeah. uh, you know, preparing. And to me... I love the collaborative process. I'm working with the new director and musical director now on a project. And, and I just say, bring all your ideas to the table because that to me is what it's all about. And I love the whole creative process um, and, you know, and how that all comes together. What was your process, the two of you working together uh, on this book? I know I'm hearing both of you coming in and talking about these ideas. Did you record all your sessions? Did you uh, just uh, take notes afterwards and bounce ideas off of each other? What was the process? Oh, I'm happy to, I, you know, I, I, I'm terrible that way. I can just talk a lot. So I don't want to do all the talking, but um, a lot of times we would, uh, we would just start just, talking and catching up with one another and then before long I would go oh you know that reminds me of blah blah blah, blah. or he would say something I go well you know and then before we knew it we were on to a, a chapter and he goes wait hang on I think this is the chapter this is our way in and it was just this wonderful organic it always came out of our conversations that we were having anyway with one another and, uh, and James has this wonderful way of organizing thoughts, which I think is, for me, is like godsend. You know, that is my love language. When you can take a, a thought and sort of organize it in a way that makes a great deal of sense. And so it always came, I, I, please, you know, uh, add in there, James. But for me, it always came organically out of our conversations. Absolutely. And we... Um... Unlike really all my other books, we wrote every word of this book together during our Zoom calls. Um, and what's funny is I remember years ago, I, I was chatting with a very good buddy of mine who's also a creativity researcher, and he was talking about this other collaboration he had. And he was like, this person wants to do everything, like writing it together on Zoom, and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> But with AI, it was just a blast. And, you know, we would meet, um, usually it's like every Wednesday for a chunk of hours and just, and literally, right. I'm going to ask a question of both of you, uh, again, because of the creative way my brain works. Um, but when you've got two creative people, such as yourself, coming together, and this process worked so perfectly for you. When you talk about this other person who said that it was driving him up the wall, that that process was not working for them, don't you think a lot of that has to do with the personalities that come together in the collaborative process? Absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the, the way that I always talk about Dana is he's like, he's like sunshine. Like he's just the kindest, warmest, <laughs> and I can be like the most crappy mood, and we start talking, and I'm feeling good, you know, and 
I just, it's just fun. And, and exactly we're working together because I mean, now, did you have any outside ear or anything as you were doing this? Uh, I know that with a book, uh, there's an editor that's going to come in and, but during the process itself, were there any outside ears that, or people that you brought in to be a part of the process? Andrew, uh, Dana's husband, and my dad, Alan Kaufman, who's also a psychologist. It was probably the first four chapters, five chapters. And we had a number of people read, you know, several people. Yeah. But my dad and Andrew gave just amazing feedback on how it was written and ideas and concepts. And we vastly rewrote the first four chapters <laughs> and that informed the rest of the book. And then that was huge. Um, and, um, but we had, we had several people read it, all of whom were very helpful. Those are two that really stand out as- They really made the biggest impact, didn't they? Yeah. Also, hey, listen, another thing that impacted our book was like, we were ready we were already shopping it to different publishers and then COVID hit. And it was like, whoops, you know, musical theater is totally different now. You know, it, it was, we went through like, do we even have a book anymore? You know, so we did a big, big change, big shift during the lockdown, didn't we, James? Yeah, no, I mean, we had a, a couple of agents who expressed interest, but said basically they they said a year and a half ago, I would have snapped this up, but musical theater is dead. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> but well, you, but, know, you bring up an interesting point because COVID yeah. has had such an impact on our lives in a way. I mean, for me, it's like the years are a blur almost. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's difficult for me to really pinpoint you know, beginnings and endings and all of this. Um, and of course it's affected uh, theater. It's affected the way that people are in the rehearsal studio. Um, even before this, I mean, uh, casting directors, everything's online now. Uh, it, uh, and to me, that personally, I feel it stifles the creative process because I love being in a room seeing the casting people and the director and the and the creative team in the room uh to coin another uh musical theater character that where it happens right you know? so, uh, to me i miss that yeah i'm i'm torn like this has happened obviously for everything including like academic conferences on one hand i miss it terribly so many conferences are now either online or partially online. On the other hand, it does allow access. And I'm very honestly torn on this because I miss being there, but I love the fact that when I do it online, I can reach people who would never be able to come to a conference. At least now it's starting to be a little bit where more conferences are in person. So it's becoming a bit of the best of both worlds. Now, I'm curious to know, what was your criteria in terms of picking the characters uh, that you focus on in the book? We wanted to give everybody an equal chance. That's for one thing. You know, we, we look and we go, oh, we have all women or we all have, you know, everything. All of these are roles that Ethel Merman played. We have to find some different ones, you know, and or these are all guys. And, you know, we we did our best to sort of spread it out, find the characters that seemed, again, to use that word organic, most organically represented the situation, the teaching we wanted to happen in the chapters. Uh, for both a positive example, as well as an example of someone who didn't quite make the leap in whatever hurdle, yeah. creative hurdle we're talking about. And I'm pulling this from your website, but I love this, ah. create your spotlight. I love this picture of Rum Tigger, you know, singing in the rain. Uh, who, where does this mindset come from? <laughs> <laughs> this is a conversation James and I had. So we went to 
we went uh, and just sort of created it, didn't we, James? We sat there and made it happen. And it actually illustrates kind of a cool creative thinking process called associative thinking, where the idea is that you can take, like if I ask you to think of, of any basic concept and then to give me a related concept. So if I say, you know. Yeah, Mrs. Lovett is Mary Poppins. I'm sorry, what? Mrs. Lovett is Mary Poppins. Ah. Or even better yet, if I were to say Mrs. Lovett, and now I want you to give me a, let's say, any musical theater character who has that who is as far away from her in every way as possible, who is as different from Mrs. Lovett, who would you say? I don't have a picture. Mame Dennis. Oh. Yeah. Or interesting Oliver. that they were both played by the same actress. Ah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's funny because I I heard an interview where Angela Lansbury said when she was playing Mrs. Lovett on Broadway that every character that she played was a continuation to get to that point. Oh, that's cool. Well, I can say with Dear World. Yes, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Hmm. And Pretty Bell, and you know, and the other roles that she did. But I mean, if you th if you look at the trajectory of a person's life, yeah, uh, when it comes to creativity, uh, certain roles that they play, um, that imagine if the other characters that they played prior to that role were aspects of that person, and the same thing could be said with both of you, with your with your creativity. Um, we are all a product of everything that has brought us to this moment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's fascinating. I, I think Mame Dennis is different than Mrs. Lovett, but at the same, well, I guess there is, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty different, pretty different. Yeah. And, you know, writing the book, and in a few moments, I'm going to play a little game with both of you on the creative <laughs> process. Uh, but uh, when did you know that this book was ready for us, the consumer? Was it your decision? Was it the editor's decision? Or was it the publisher's decision? Hmm. I'd say when we, be, we did not, and I, I would not recommend this to people, but we did not begin sending it out until we had a complete first draft. That the, the timing for it, as I mentioned, wasn't great. So we then went back and revised it. I mean, I think that first draft still was pretty good, being honest. But I think the current one is is much better. And we <coughs> we got Rutledge. It was funny because we had that big first draft. And we decided it's too big. We took three chapters and we put them over here for a different thing. We thought, we have two books. <laughs> but you're, to me, your website is a continuation of this. And to me, you know, the coin that I that uh, someone gave me for my Call on Dolly site is uh, that it's a living book. And your website absolutely lives up to that thing, that you it's, a, it's still a living book. And, and we very much want, want to keep building it in new activities. And I mean, that was probably my favorite part of the book was coming up with the activities. Um, it was just, it was so oh, I mean, my, my son's coughing in the other room. Uh, um, that was just so much fun because they were such a mix. Some were variants on coaching exercises. Some were variants on creativity practice exercises. And some were just new. Um, and then we would try them out in each other. I would sometimes try them out in my class. And, um, right. Well, and we're working on a workbook, a separate workbook now, too, uh, that would just have a, a bunch of creativity exercises in it. Um, Do you think that this will eventually become a course that will be taught in colleges? You know, you know, hmm. it, it, I, I would love that. I mean, oh, I think it's I think it's amazing. In, in the book that you now have in your hand, uh, I know that Dana's got his right there. Uh, is this the book that you both set out to write? Oh, 
I can speak for myself. I very much think so. I think it really is. When you think about it, James, it's 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 so true to you and true to me at the same time, which is not a bunch of not many people get to say that, you know, it's it's really authentically us, you know, you know, like there's always this trade off with how much is it you and authentically your voice and then versus how much are you willing to squelch that to reach as many people as possible like part of me would have i mean i love rutledge and thrilled with them i would have been perhaps even happier with simon and schuster but then it wouldn't have been this book you know at all mm. and i'd rather have this book read by fewer people and get it to be that real synthesis of, of, of me and Dana. but not today yeah. we want everybody watching the show to buy the book <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and I'll put this up again, that you have a 20% discount uh, on your website. You, uh, This is not available through Amazon. This is only through your website. Am I correct? It's only through Rutledge.com. R-O-U-T-L-E-D-G-E.com. Uh, that's the publisher. Okay. I mean, you can buy the book on Amazon. You just wouldn't get the discount. Um, uh, yes, you can get it on Amazon. Yeah, indeed. And mine is ordered. I can't wait for it to arrive. But I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I've been, you know, uh, perusing the PDF thanks to Dana, but I cannot wait to hold a hard copy in my hand because I'm very old fashioned that way. Um, I want to, uh, I, I, you know, I had on the bottom of the screen um, and I want to pull this up and I'd like both of you to weigh on this. I pulled this from your website as well. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean when you refer to the creative personality? Uh, any of you? Happy to. To me, the biggest thing is openness. Somebody who is open, whether it's to trying something new, a new experience, or to a new idea. And I mean, that's the biggest thing that separates people who have a more creative personality from those who don't. I mean, it's and it's related to being flexible to not necessarily needing to know what's happening next. So like, are you okay if things are a little bit ambiguous, can be a little bit spontaneous? Um, but like that, that trying new foods, you know, being interested in visiting in a, a new place you've never been, that, that to me is kind of the, the essence. I would have to I would have to echo that absolutely 100% and and I think of it as when I can recognize it in someone else when uh it's that that thing where they have gotten back to that part of themselves that's mm -hmm. playful and uh in fact one of our interviewees this morning mentioned that it's like there's a point you know you learn you you try you you know you do you learn the craft you go on and then all of a sudden it becomes play again mm -hmm. and to me that is when creativity is able to just flourish it can get really magical at that point well, we have to almost come back to that you know there's so many actors right now that are returning to theater i next year is about me getting back to my creative roots uh, and doing more work on stage as opposed to this box here. Um, and hearing the interviews with all of these actors, I was watching The View this morning and they had, they did it, they were talking about uh, Taxi, which now, believe it or not, is 45 years old. Uh, and uh, but the actors, but the actors were talking about their process of creating the show and how it came together. And I love what Judd Hirsch said. He said, when this show opened, uh, it was on television. It was at a time that shows were coming and going quicker than you could bat your eyes. So his whole idea was, we're going to at least have fun with this. Mm -hmm. And so they went in with this idea of, as you just said, this playfulness. And every Friday night after they finished their taping, they had a party. And to celebrate what they had done that week. And you know this with most shows, people, you know, good night. I'm going, and they had all, they all went out. And Mary Lou Henner said that even though it's been, you know, 
it's been less than 45 years because of the run of the show, but they still, ha uh, during COVID, they've done a, co uh, a Zoom every other month since COVID, that the entire company, they go to see each other's shows. They're all part of this collective that they created from working on that one particular show. So I think it's all about the playfulness of staying with that. So I've got some, you know, uh, questions. I'm just going to throw at both of you, and I'll start with you, James. Um, when did you have? Was there a part of the, writing this book, um, or working with Dana? And you can leave the room, Dana, if you'd like to. That was the most difficult aspect for you. Um, you know, your knowledge on creativity, and how did you get through that? Honestly, it was when we began sending it out to the agents and the publishers. And even the publishers that I thought made sense and were, I thought, attainable, just weren't interested or never got back to us at first. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been spoiled a little bit because I do my little academic publishing with creativity and I work with the same few publishers and it's... I'm very lucky, and you know that usually it's it's reasonably set. And getting that many rejections was a little hard, but kept going. Well, uh, to me, every uh, yeah, he's going to drive me crazy. I have to get him in my lab. So, um, so James, when people talk about this book, uh, Dana, I mean, uh, when people talk about this book, um, when you're not around, what do you hope they're saying about the book? Oh, I, I hope that they're saying, oh, this is a this really opened up some things to me I never thought about before. I really or, or I never have thought about that musical theater character like that. I would never have thought of that in a million years, but now it's so obvious, you know. To me, if we could just open up something there, mm -hmm. uh, something new, a new way of thinking that perhaps they didn't have before or weren't open to. Great. Uh, James, can you name three words or phrases that you feel would best describe this book for someone who is not familiar uh, with you and your work or Dana's work at all? Hopefully. Um, accessible. Fun. And insightful. Perfect. Perfect. That's great. And Dana, we, we pretty much got the idea of how you two came to know each other, but it came because of your podcast. What led you to doing that podcast in the first place? Oh, wow. Interesting. I, I feel like there's always something to learn from folks. And to me, I, I've been very lucky in my life to be connected to some extraordinary people. And I, uh, James being one of them, you being one of them, and pulling them in together for a conversation just seemed like a wonderful experience. And I, I would, I, I'm really glad, even though it only lasted a little while that I was able to do it because I feel like they had something to share. Wonderful. Uh, James, do you uh, did you grow up in a creative household? Very much so. Um, my, my parents develop IQ tests, which is the kind of thing you don't assume people actually do. Um, but they're, they're both psychologists, so it wasn't totally randomly going into psychology. And both of them, particularly relevant to this, this book, were really into musical theater. So I grew up with the Brown album of Superstar and being oh. <laughs> all sorts and so many different shows like you know, 110 in the shade and Jacques Brel and these, like so certainly the sound of music, but then also these ones that you might not say take a eight-year-old to. And I think being exposed to all of that and being with people who who were scientists, but very creative scientists, their 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 tests are made a number of notable innovations in the field. Um, it was, it was really quite nice. So Dana, out of all of the characters that are mentioned in the book, which is the one that is most like you? And which is the one that you're most like? 
It's really good. I, I'm not sure. I, I never thought of them like that before. Uh, I would say, you know, there was always, what is it we said there, uh, James, you know, Pippin was always looking for that thing. And I think that I've always been open to the next thing in my life. So I can, I can relate to that. Um, yeah, I think that's a good one. You know, I, I, I certainly have no, no, nothing bothers me about that. You know, I love uh, who's, that. who's, who am I most, I think that that's a nice kind of back and forth. I don't know if I'm most like Pippin or just that, uh, I, I like the adventure of life, you know? I do too. Uh, James, same question. Oh boy. Um, what's funny is I was, I was flipping through the book thinking, well, how would I answer that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure. I mean, that's, that's the first thing that comes up for me. I'm not sure. What about you? Yeah. If I'm, so many musical theater characters You don't necessarily choose to watch a show about the the most happy, content, nothing bad ever happens to them person. Um, but I mean, the one I keep coming back to is is Harold Hill, um, which maybe isn't the most flattering thing, but. Um, Perhaps not quite as money focused, but having interesting ideas, wanting to share them with people, but then ultimately the older I get, wanting to smell the roses and enjoy the small things. Isn't it, um, you know, uh, is it Thinkology that he refers to? What uh, in the, the Think that? System? Yeah. The Think System. But, you know, um, I, first of all, I, I, you know, I, I could go on for days with both of you. Um, I, I can't believe that this hour has gone by. Um, I, and I uh, and you're welcome here anytime. When the next book comes out, uh, hopefully we'll be together uh, and I can do it one-on-one uh, -on -one with you. Um, I'm going to give my closing remarks and then I'm going to give each of you a chance to have your final word. You can decide who will go first. And when the last person says goodbye, then the, uh, I will end the show. Um, it could be about anything we talked about today, uh, anything that we didn't talk about uh, that you wish we had, or just any final message you wanna leave everyone with right now. Um, but uh, my closing remarks today, I'm, I'm reminded of a moment in The Music Man, since you bring that up, uh, where he wants Marion to meet him at the footbridge. And she waffles back and forth as to whether or not she's going to meet him there. And then she finally meets him at the footbridge. And she said, I almost didn't come. And he said, you can spend a lifetime collecting tomorrows to find that you have no yesterdays. And to me, that is, that's the message that I get from the music man. Uh, with so many other messages that are there, but that he lives, you know, he's creating things around him, uh, even if even if he is a con man, but he makes people believe in themselves. And that's the magic of that show. And, you know, I, I, I you know, Danny, you know this, I, as, as I said earlier, uh, I love you, James. It is such an honor to get to meet you and have you both on this show. Uh, I end all of my shows by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and the seventh name that pops up, reach out with a phone call, not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message. And for everybody watching the show today, um, ask them if they saw today's show and if they're familiar with this book and encourage them to buy the book. And as we said earlier, if you go to rutledge.com, you can get a discount with the discount code. And this will remain on my YouTube channel. So you can get that as well. Uh, I have a dear friend, uh, Sean Moniger, and he says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm going to leave the screen. I'm going to turn it over to you. You can decide who'll go first. And when you say goodbye, 
Uh, I will just end the show. And thank you and much success with this book. It's incredible. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Richard. Thank you so much, Richard. You want to go or should I? I I'm happy to go. Yeah, I should. I'll leave it. I'll leave it to you, James. You're the you're the man. I I'll tell you what. This was just lovely, Richard. Love you to death, and I really enjoyed doing this. And it was such a pleasure doing this with you, James. And I'm so proud that this book is finally you know seeing the light of day. And thank you for asking me that day if I would write a book with you. And uh, and for everyone who's watching, thank you for watching. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day and the rest of your week. The thing that occurred to me is that in a lot of way, what I love about creativity, I love about musicals, they can help give you insight they can help you heal. They can help connect you with other people. And they help make life more meaningful and joyful. And I love that we live in a world where we have both of these things. Thank you so much, Richard, for having me on. And I really hope to get to be back soon.